0: And welcome to episode 64 of Owen the Saints podcast, your podcast dedicated to Southampton Football Club and what a shambles of a football club we currently are. This podcast is recapping our defeat to Tottenham. For those of you keeping count, that's 12 from our last 15 Premier League games, 7 points from a possible 45, the under twenty threes getting beaten 7-1 by Leicester in the week. These podcasts are starting to have a very Groundhog Day feel to them. It was the same old story for Saints on Wednesday night, going ahead before chucking points away with the reckless abandon of the newspaper Metro newspaper distributor at Elephant and Castle tube station. That's 21 points now we've lost from winning positions, the most in the Premier League. You know, Florentino Perez might have been onto something with those Super League proposals. Most of it was bollocks as a Saints fan, the idea of shortening matches down from 90 minutes is starting to sound awfully appealing right now. We might even stand a chance of a draw, let alone a win if we play for 60 minutes rather than 90. Jack, I'm sure you're just as weary as I am, breaking down another disappointing Saints effort. How are you feeling?
1: I mean, I used to look forward to watching and so now I dread the dread match days. <laughs> it just seems to be same... Shit over and over again. Just analysing, analysing bad performances week after week. But apart from that, I'm not bad. How are you?
0: Just like to check in on you and make sure that you're in like a a solid mental state. Which it sounds like you've had a bit of time to analyse. Well, at least reflect on the game. Um, Coming so soon after that Wembley drivel we served up at the weekend. I had very very low expectations for Wednesday. In fact, I think a little bit like you, I struggled to actually get myself up for the game at all. But then we go out and we actually put in a decent first half performance. It's the hope that kills you ultimately. What was your immediate take on the overall performance? 2-1 defeat at Tottenham is no disgrace in that. But again, it's just the manner of it, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I think this performance tonight kind of encapsulated the whole season. Good start few injuries and then ultimately you know let down um with the defeat and with the performance in general the first half was as close to like peak ralph southampton that we've had in a while i mean we haven't had many really good performances recently but there was intensity all over the pitch you know we were closing down from the front um nathan teller on the on the left hand side was really lively it just seemed like the southampton evolved um and Shay Adams should have put us one-nil up in the first few minutes. Nathan Teller with an amazing ball across Salisa with the header, and it came back to Adams. And it's just one of those ones where we've spoke about it before. Just pass it into the net Shay. You don't need to lace every single strike, and he seems to do it. It was that should have been one-nil. We we got the goal, deservedly got the goal from the corner. Um, Danny Ings with the flick, and at that point we were, you know, fully deserving of our lead. I and mean, we went into half time. You always knew the Spurs were going to come out second half a different team. That's just how football works. They're playing at home. The, they've got better individual players. They're going to put us in the back foot. But we didn't half make it easy for them. I think we sat back. Um, the Danny Ings injury didn't help because he's obviously a crucial player and he leads from the front. But we just sat back and it was, we seem to say it every single week on the podcast, but... I wish I lumped fifty quid on a Spurs win at half time because it's so obvious. It's so obvious. I think you can make so much money betting against them at the moment because you do it's, It just seems to happen every every single week that we just chuck points away, mate. That's what we're good at, isn't it? Just throwing points away from winning positions.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's. I think there's two types of and performances now in 2021 that I think we can we can put into into two categories. It's. Going ahead and losing or going behind and giving up. Yeah. They're the two. So most points from winning positions. You look again, Wednesday at Tottenham, Wolves at home went one nil up, lost 2 1. Chelsea at home going one nil up, one all. That's one bracket of Saints performance, which we've, we've kind of, it's, it's plagued us all season really. Um, and the alternative, which we've seen more and more this year is falling behind and then showing no ability whatsoever to turn it around. And that's what we saw at Wembley against Leicester. But we also saw it in the defeat to West Brom, Brighton as well, Leeds, Everton, all these games in the past two, mo- two months um, where we've gone behind and really haven't looked like getting back into the game at all. And that's the thing I think what happened on Sunday and why it was so disappointing against Leicester because we went one nil down and you think, okay, we've got 30 minutes now to turn it around, real pushing back and kind of go... Um, all guns blazing. It's, it's an opportunity to get to, to get to an FA Cup final. And we just gave up almost. We, yeah. we didn't have any ability to force our way back into the game. Um, and that wasn't the case on Wednesday, but I guess it kind of was after they went 2 1 up. We didn't really show much. We didn't have much time, but, um, even when it went 1 all, you kind of felt that there was only going to be one winner. The momentum in that second half, we sank. Back and we can talk about Ralph substitutions because again, they are a talking point. The Danny Ying's injury was massive, a hamstring tweak. It sounds like we were talking on the podcast a few weeks ago about him needing six, seven, eight goals between now and the end of the season to kind of force his way into Gareth Southgate's thinking. And it seems because it seemed like he was slipping out of the picture with the injuries. And he was scoring. He scored to he scored on Wednesday. He scored that great goal against Burnley. You just felt that he's picking up a little bit of momentum with those kind of final six games or so. And now that could be it, couldn't it, for him? Really?
1: I think so. I think that's his that's his Euro dream over, and I am gutted for him because, like we said, he was so good last season, and that should have been his time to 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 play for England. But this season, this is his third big spell on the sidelines now. And for, for a striker, you need to be more consistent than that. And Danny Ings has had a poor injury record and it seems to be coming back to him at the moment. Um, yeah, it's just really, really disappointing because in the first half, it was it was everything that you want to see from Danny Ings. He was pressing all over the pitch. He was slide tackles. He was, you know, kind of the leader. And the, the header was brilliant near post, near post flick. And yeah, I just really am gutted for him because I think he, he needed five or six more goals to get into that, that, that England, you know, contention. And now, I mean, our next game is next Friday, isn't it? Against Leicester. I don't know how we've somehow been put Friday night against Leicester at home again. I think it's some kind of conspiracy against us, mate. I think they want us to get nine or ten nilled again. (laughs) But we've we've got Leicester next Friday, which is what, a good seven, eight, nine days away. Um, but if it's a hamstring injury, they're usually three or four weeks, aren't they? So it looks to be the majority of his season over.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was ground it's Groundhog Day for a number of reasons, but one of them being that opportunity for Che. And how many times have we sat here on his podcast and talked about his finishing? And the fact yeah, that he just, all, he just laces it every single time. Um, he's now got a massive role to play if Danny is out for a number of games and there aren't that many games left between now and the end of the season. Um, he actually stepped up quite well um, previously when Danny missed some time earlier this year. So he potentially has a massive role to play for us in, in salvaging what we can from this league season now, 36 points. We talked before about we're not going to get anywhere close to matching where we were last season, but we've got tough games coming up. We've still got to play West Ham. We've still got to play Leicester. I think we've still got to play um, Liverpool. Liverpool Liverpool as well. Um, so they're no easy games. One positive, small positive I did want to mention was on the goal, James Ward-Prowse um, moving second, uh, obviously behind Matt Letizier for Premier League assists for Southampton, 28 in his Saints career. Sixth of his season just from set pieces alone. That's more than any other player. Where would we be without his set-piece delivery? Because <laughs> we score an awfully high percentage of our goals from set-pieces, as was the case on Wednesday.
1: Yeah, you don't want to even want to think about where we'd be without James Ward-Prowse. I just think he needs a proper proper partnership along well, centre midfielder alongside him that he can build a partnership with because he was decent with Romeo at the start of the season. Well, very good with Romeo at the start of the season. And because of his injury, Diallo's come in and I think started off his Saints career very well, but last couple of games, I think he has been poor. I know he, he only got half an hour today, but he wasn't good at um, at Wembley on Sunday and performance today. I don't, it, doesn't, it doesn't look to me like there's like a strong partnership between those two and they know each other's game too well, because, you know, you compare that Ward-Prowse to Romeo partnership, they seem to know exactly where each other's going to be. And Diallo doesn't really have, he's not on the same wavelength at the moment. And, um, but yeah, I think it's just a massive, massive summer for silence because I think they do need to recruit another midfielder. Someone that's mm. going to sit in that midfield alongside war potentially. Not, not sure if Diallo is completely ready for that yet. Unless we tweak the formation and we move away from this two central midfielders and put another player in there. But I don't think Ralph would do that. The problem
0: as I see it with the central midfield is we're playing two in there. And the, the roles, as you say, aren't defined. When Romeo plays, his role is so clearly defined to break up play, sit, hold and let war prowls move forward. Mm-hmm. Romeo barely gets beyond, barely gets into the final third because he knows what his role is. It's to break up the opposition's attacks um, and to be that shield there. When Diallo plays, like one of the things that, when we talked to that League 1 expert about Diallo and got excited about watching him play in a Saints shirt was the fact that he kept on mentioning how good he was on the ball and carrying yep. the ball forward. Now, we've seen that we've seen that in a Saints shirt. He can. He's technically very good. He can bring the ball forward, um, especially when he first broke into the Saints team. He was doing that to a really good effect. But that doesn't work really with James Ward-Prowse because if Diallo's bringing the ball forward and carrying the ball forward and looking to make an impact in that final third... James Will Prowse is looking to do that as well. Yeah. So that just leaves a massive gaping hole behind our midfield. Um, so I just don't think they've got the roles to find there. I don't think Hassan Hoot was defined the roles that he wants those players to play in that midfield um because it's leaving us wide open. It left us wide open against West Brom, improved at Wembley. We were a little bit more solid. Um, but yeah. It's it's for sure something that needs work on the training ground or different personnel or a different formation, as you said. Well, he went, he, went with, he went with
1: Armstrong tonight, didn't he? He so did go with Armstrong an, an tonight. interesting so,
0: one. Yeah. I mean, that's not the long-term answer either. I think that's just a reflection of the fact that he understands that the Diallo that partnership now... It's just not there with war so I think he he changed it to Armstrong, but that's not the long-term answer, because that takes Armstrong out of his best position. I thought he did well, especially in the first half on Wednesday, but it takes him out of his best position, which is kind of, you want him as close to the opposition goal as possible, don't you?
1: You do. Um, I thought, before the game, you saw that centre midfield partnership of Armstrong and ward and you think we're going to be opened up against the... Quality opposition that Spurs have, I think we're all going to get opened up. But they were really, really good in the first half. I think they had like a very good partnership in midfield, and you know we had a lot of the ball, and that's obviously a great thing when you've got Stuart Armstrong in midfield because he can he can drive with the ball. Um, but when Ings got injured and he decided to bring Diallo in centre midfield and push Armstrong forward, I think we need to talk about Ralph's substitutions because it's got a lot of stick on mm-hmm. on Twitter from Saints fans. On if you look at that objectively on paper, that's not that stupid a decision, I don't think. Because no, I didn't hate it much, at the time, to be honest. You're, you're pretty much you're saying, I'm going to put Stuart Armstrong back into his best position and I'm going to bring in a centre midfielder. Um, kind of makes sense. And you've got players like Nathan Teller that can play up front in that Danny Ings role um, or Theo Walcott. So it's quite interchangeable up front, I think. And you're trying to get your best player back into position. However, in hindsight, I do think if something's working well, I don't know. I think it was working well, and then after that, it wasn't working well. So in hindsight, it's easy to pick that out. But I didn't. I didn't hate it at the time. I think there were some other substitutions, like bringing on bringing on Gineppo, bringing on Nathan Redmond. I honestly don't understand what Takumi Minamino needs to do to get in this team. I don't understand. We, we loaned him in from Liverpool. He had those big moments against Newcastle. Scored a great goal against Chelsea, and can't get in the team. Didn't right. play. Obviously, FA Cup tied, and you're thinking, fine, FA Cup tied. He has to play in the league games. Why are we persistent with? Theo Walcott absolutely does my head in it. I, don't, I couldn't even pick mm-hmm. anything out he did tonight. And so,
0: a couple of times in the first half as well, like the, the what he does bring to the team is that ability to get on the board and carry it forward. But that end product is so frustrating. One, one time when it was a three on three in the first half, um, he had options. I think it was Teller to his left and it might have been Ings to his right. And he took, a, he just took the shot on from the edge of the box and it deflected, kind of looped up over Larissa and went out for a corner kick. And it's like, Theo, mate, pick your head up and pick somebody out. That is a fantastic opportunity there to get a quality shot on goal. But instead you've had a pop from 22 yards because I don't know, you're running out of steam. It's, it's just literally,
1: the- I played five-a-side last night. And that is the kind of thing that I would do. I would try, I'd try. I'd shift the ball on my right foot and I would hit and hope. And I'd hope for a little deflection in the top corner. And when I watched him do that, I was thinking, oh, it's just so frustrating because you want your attacking players to have a little bit more composure. And if he's going to have a shot, you have to do more to create a yard of space. You have to try and drop the shoulder or faint one way and go the other way because... Yeah, I agree with you. It's a small moment in the game, but it's those kind of moments where you can definitely get a goal because it was a it was a three on three, like you said, disappointing.
0: It was disappointing. Um, the substitution, I think, for me was bringing on Giannepo, and that's easy to say now because ultimately he was the one that made the mistake, and it was. I have it's regained gone. my composure from after the, like at the time I was fuming. It's just such a stupid, stupid challenge to make. It's not the first time we've seen him lunging like rash. Um, the Newcastle red card springs to mind, but there have been other, there have been other instances as well where he's just clumsy. He's clumsy on the ball and he's clumsy off the ball. Um, and I think he's one of those players that's, that in these kind of final few games of the season, is playing for his role in, if, if Ralph stays, and I don't think that's necessarily given, but I think the club wants him to stay and I expect him to stay. And Gineppo is a player that is playing for his role in, in, in Ralph's system. And he comes onto the pitch. I'm not sure why he's brought him on because at that point in time, I don't know what he's going to bring to the team and he's only going to make, well, (laughs) he ended up making that mistake. But you can only see something going wrong in our third with him when he brings him on. When the play is being sucked back towards our goal, Musa Gineppo is not somebody I want around the ball defending when we're trying to secure a point away from home no. at Tottenham.
1: Not at all. I think it's that, that whole penalty incident, there's a few things in that. It's The ball in, I think it's Shay Adams kind of half goes at it and almost almost handballs it himself. And then hits. Yeah. it hits... Um, Yannick Vestergaard on the hand. I don't think it's handball, because his hand's right next to him and it's just conflict of the, the player in front. But the key thing for me, and we praise Carl Walker-Peters so much on this podcast because he's been absolutely top draw and it's just a shame there's so many good England English right-backs ahead of him because I think he would be in with the shout with an England call-up with his form, especially at the start of the season. But he has two swipes to clear that ball, two attempts to clear that ball. If you watch it back, one of them hits... Toby Ordeviero, which people are saying that could have been handball, but the ball gets hit at you from two yards. I don't think you can get given handball for that. And then it comes back to him and he takes another swipe and it just reaches the edge of the box. And it's those little mistakes where Ralph gets so much stick from fans, but it's like the 88th minute and the ball's dropped to your defender twice in the box and he can't clear it out. And yeah. ultimately it was Gineppo's rash decision to go flying in on Reggie on. I think it was in the edge of the box. But when I watch that back again, I'm thinking, God, we did shoot ourselves in the foot. That's awful defending.
0: Yeah, and it was in the first half as well. Um, I, there's a moment I remember when I just think the tr- defending was dreadful. The ball again came in from the left, took a took a, def- I think Son kind of squared it almost and mm. Yannick Vesta got up and had an opportunity to clear it and it just kind of spooned off his foot, fell to the back post where Lucas Moura just like poked it over the bar. And that was a massive opportunity for them just before half time to make it one all. And it's like, in these moments, end of the first half, last few minutes of the game, where you just want to be really, really solid, we have no leadership or ability on the pitch to to get that out of our players. We just mm-hmm. make mistakes. It's like the pressure builds and builds and builds. And then our players just crumble under that yeah. pressure. Um, as far as Spurs are concerned, they'd obviously had a terrible week. Um, but there's no better team to play. For Ryan Mason, the youngest Premier League manager in history, there's no better team to come up against than us at home. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw a, a tweet saying for, as far as Spurs are concerned, they their week started by getting bantered by their dulex dog, then getting <laughs> kicked, then getting kicked out of the league that lasts two days sacking their manager and it's like, well, you're playing Southampton now. Perfect opportunity to get back on track. It, it, it really was. It did yeah. feel like that Um, because we can't get out of our own way at the moment. Let's talk about what Ralph said after the game um, because he was asked about the winning positions stat and obviously 21 points dropped now is the most in the Premier League. He said, what do you want to hear? We can speak about tactics, subs, the way we defend or whether we should change something. It's not just one thing. Maybe it's the quality of the opponent. You can speak about everything. Now, that's not what fans want to hear, is it? I don't want, I don't, that doesn't (laughs) sound great It's not what what people want to hear. They want to hear their manager pick out something that they know is going wrong, that can be fixed. And it sounds like Ralph's just kind of thrown his arms up in the air and been like, I don't know, it's everything.
1: That's That's not the kind of response that we've, Got used to, I think, under Ralph over the last couple of years or so, because he's usually very clear and you know comes out, picks up a few points, and says X, Y, Z. We need to improve, and this is what we did well. And the fact that he's come out and so he said, "What do you want to hear?" I mean, bloody hell, mate! Please tell us like what's going to change. We've lost twelve out of the last fifteen. We want to hear what's going wrong. There's obviously something going wrong. It just it does sound like he's a little bit just lost as to what's you know he's getting asked these questions about about what's causing this absolute shambolic performances week after week and these, you know, second half collapses. And he's just, he doesn't know. And that's worrying. I think that's why lots of Saints fans, and it's becoming more and more each week. I'm on Twitter all the time and you've got people divided, but it's definitely increasing. More and more people are calling for Ralph now to go because I think it's just... you can read into body languages and stuff like that a lot, but things like when we give away the penalty and players like Stuart Armstrong are just staring at the floor, shaking their head. It's just like a lot of players look like can't be asked anymore. Like what? What even yeah. is this? Like I even think again, you might be reading it into it a bit too much. But Yannick Vestergaard was so good at the start start the season. I don't think he has been the same player. I know he's been linked with a few moves and maybe his head's been turned a little bit but it's players like that that just seem to have lost their kind of bite in the team and they don't have that same kind of energy that we've been used to. So there's something, something certainly not right.
0: I think the word that you use there that's resonated with me is is lost. The manager looks lost and the players look lost on the pitch um, and to a certain extent like that needs to come from the manager. The sense of direction needs to come from the manager, but at the same time, like I've been critical of the players in the past because it does seem to me like a group of, a group of players with absolutely zero. Bottle, basically. Yeah. Um There's a few in there, obviously Danny Ings being one of them has got a quality But you can't. We just rely on him to such an extent where he has he has a few bad games, and he and he did go through a little run of form where he wasn't hitting his straps like he was earlier in the season. And you just look across the rest of the team, and you're like, who's going to take a game by the scruff of the neck?
1: Stuart Armstrong. Stuart Armstrong,
0: maybe. But yeah, but the rest of the players, it's just like they just let things happen to them. Yeah. Now in the past, that was poor decisions or just like bad luck, there's not much you can do about that. But now it's just like, they're just letting stuff roll off them and not even trying, which is why I think many of us, me included, kind of felt like before this game against Tottenham, like, like how bothered can I be? Because you don't really get that sense that the players are that bothered. (laughs) And then you get the sense that Ralph is just like, how am I going to change this? And his quote today is like another indication that he doesn't know which then breeds this like complete lack of confidence across the board. Um, the club from top to bottom at the moment just feels to be in a really unsteady position. Um,
1: bottle merchants, but, Gary Neville called the, the owners of, the SL, of those uh, top six clubs. I think yeah. we've got a few in our team, bottle merchants.
0: Yeah, I mean, just, to, just from top to bottom, the club mentioned it at the start, but the result in the under-23s... Um, against Leicester and we've over promoted youth players through into the first team because we have got such a small first team squad and that has a knock on effect throughout the 23s to the 18s, all the way through the academy teams. And it's, it's just like negative headline after negative headline for us at the moment. Mm. Um, and it's a spiral that we've been in now for what three months, if not a bit, a little bit longer, three and a half months. As you said, Leicester up next got a little bit of time. Thank God I don't have a Saints game to ruin my weekend this <laughs> weekend. Um, but yeah, did you have anything else you wanted to mention? Salasu did come back into the team. I was going to mention him. A couple of unsteady, again, a couple of unsteady moments in the first half, first half of the first half, but he's playing that position. And I thought overall he dealt with the threat of Gareth Bale relatively well considering the circumstances.
1: Yeah, that's the only thing I wanted to mention with Salasu because he he was making some pretty basic errors, going at the ball with his wrong foot, um, you know, and the ball was going underneath his foot and things like that. But I think you do have to remember he's new to the league, he's young and he's playing at left back. I think we can really judge Mohamed Salasu as part of a back two when we're playing four at the back and we've got a solid back four and he's playing part of a back two on the left hand side because I tweeted it during the game. Do you remember Jan Benderak playing right back against Newcastle when we yeah. lost three-two in that game? Like he was oh, awful. Was got Jack his... Stevens was oh, well. Okay, yeah, well, it, it, was it was Stevens center center. against Newcastle. Stevens. Yeah. yeah, okay, we'll he play, had a shocker. Play.
0: He had a massive shocker. Yeah,
1: exactly. Okay, we're well, playing out of position, and centre backs playing out of position. I think it's just such a. The whole game is different when you're playing at fullback. You're playing against quicker players, and you're more isolated because you don't have a couple sitting defend, uh, sitting central midfielders in front of you. So, too easy to judge on, too quick to judge on Muhammad Salisu. Um, I think a word on the on the ESL. Shall we? Perhaps we have a little. Yeah. Spurs obviously. are obviously a club that went for it this week, and it's all mm-hmm. unravelled since we had that podcast on Sunday night, hasn't it? So it's all. Um, they've all bottled it, really, haven't they? They've all bottled it. What what's, it What are your happen, thoughts yeah. on it, and do you think? Do you think there should be some kind of punishment for these
0: clubs? 100%. 100%. Anyone that says otherwise is a blinkered supporter of one of those top six clubs. In the history of the time that I've watched football, there have always been consequences when your, the owners of a club make, mista- make mistakes or get greedy, overspend, financial mismanagement. There are so many teams, so many examples of teams being docked points and getting hit with significant fines for going into administration or for doing things that are outside the rules of the competition. Southampton being one of them. We started yeah. on minus 10 points in league one. There are so many teams that this has happened to. Now the argument. Wigan, you- Wigan came
1: 13th last season and got relegated yeah. <laughs> because of, because of that. They got.
0: Yeah. And for people of fans of the top six clubs to say and all pundits, Graham Souness, Jamie Carragher, that have affiliations with these clubs, obviously, for them to say that you can't punish the clubs, you can't punish the players, the manager, you must punish the owners. It's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, lads. That's never happened before in football. So why is it happening now? Um, Saints had horrific ownership that put us into financial jeopardy and we took the punishment for it. We took a season in League One for it and we got promoted the next season. It wasn't great, but you accept the punishment and you move on. Um, also Southampton, what we, what we did was we went into administration because we were financially mismanaged. That affected just us, really. I think maybe a few, a few other parties that might have been on the wrong end of a transfer deal with us, but it ultimately affected just us. What these top six clubs were trying to do affected the entire Football League. We got minus 10 points for something that impacted Southampton negatively. These top six teams made decisions that looked after themselves and themselves only at the detriment of what, 86 other teams? The punishment, in my opinion, can't be too severe for what they tried to do. They tried to make it just so they would be successful for the rest of football history. And leaving everyone else behind. Now, if we get doc 10 points for what we did as a single club, how do you punish a club for harming 86 other teams? Like that is honestly the way that I would look at it. They tried to fuck over the whole football league. Mm. Um, so yeah, 100%. Now, what that punishment is. Ultimately, again, like this conversation around the Super League, it comes down to money. The Premier League aren't going to want Liverpool, Man United, Man City, Chelsea to not be in the Premier League. Mm. They're not going to relegate them. These are like really draconian punishments. I just don't think are realistic because that's not going to happen. Um, give them a, a big points deduction. Well, it can't be, can't be ridiculous because then they'll probably get relegated and that's not an outcome that they want either, but definitely financial. Punishments are not enough because you've got people, you've got a whole country behind Man City that can pay whatever they want. Again, Chelsea are funded by a multi billionaire. So financial punishments don't aren't going to do it. Whether you look at transfer window bans, whether you look at, I think s- somehow it could be worked where you'd put a salary restrictions on them for a period of years that would force them to sell lots of their good players and to have squads that were m- mainly made up of youth players and some journeyman players. I'd love, love, love to see those top six six clubs be taken down a peg or two. And whether you can do that, I don't know legally what the rules are in the Premier League, but some kind of salary cap on them that meant they had to sell the likes of Mohamed Salah and Kevin De Bruyne and they had to leave and go to other clubs that were a little bit better run. Um, Mm. That would be great. I mean, what were your thoughts? Sorry, I've gone on that. No,
1: it's pretty much exactly the same as you. I think I've been speaking to a lot of my mates who do support those clubs. And what they say is exactly that. Like, why punish the club when it's to do with these greedy owners? And my view on it is that when has it ever, you know, not been about the owners? They're the ones that own the club. They make the decisions. It happens in business. If an owner of a business makes a decision, that business will be punished. And you might not like these owners. You might not like Abramovich. You might not like John Henry, the Glazers, but they represent your club. And they literally own the club. They literally own the club. And I just think (laughs) they are, they they, they own the club. And I think if you look at the other teams that have been docked points, like you said, Southampton, I was reading about Wigan before it's about the owners. And at the end of the day, they punish the club because of the owner's actions. It's never about, you know, it's never about the players. It's never about the fans. It's never about the manager, but this is, this is what happens. And I think it's so, so naive to say, look, it's got nothing to do with us. Um, it's just a,
0: it's just a self-preservation tactic. If you're a fan of a team, you don't want your team to be impacted. I mean, it's as simple as that. They just don't want, they don't want Liverpool or Man City don't want to be harmed mm-hmm. because of the actions of, 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 Henry or Glazer or whoever. They don't want it to hurt their on-pitch team that they actually support. I mean, Liverpool fans can give two monkeys about John W. Henry, but unfortunately he owns your club. So what he does will have an impact on your team. Now you can get rid of him. That's fine. But I'm sorry, the damage has already been done in this case. He's already tried to fuck over 86 other teams. So you're going to have to take the punishment for it.
1: And that's the other thing. I think, again, another argument from those fans, those clubs is that all they did was sign up for an idea. It wasn't, you know, anything more than that. It was sign up for an idea and it's taken down 48 hours later. But like, the idea like that's a absolute joke isn't it the idea (laughs) was to literally like you said to preserve your future for the for the for the rest of football history and everyone else can sort themselves out and we're going to guarantee ourselves 300 million each year and you know what you can sort yourself out and that money that we're going to get we're going to use in this league and we're going to buy the best players and we'll be the best and it doesn't matter if we're shit because we'll always be the best and it's like okay that hasn't well, it's not actually happened. We did try, but it's not actually happened. So don't punish us. But I think it has to be, like you said, something, to, something that's going to hit them quite hard. And I think a European ban, it might yeah. be difficult because UEFA want them back more than anything. They're probably buzzing to have them back in that competition. So they're not going to do it, but it has to, to say that they shouldn't be punished is an absolute joke.
0: Yeah. Unfortunately, I wouldn't be surprised if the punishments were, if, if at all much less severe than they should be. But I mean, m- in my opinion, what I did was like absolutely despicable just for the, just for the, like the sheer gall of it, just like the attempt to do It's just absolute embarrassment. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, if I was a fan of one of these top six clubs, I'd be embarrassed. And I think a lot of the ones, a lot of the fans that I've spoken to that are my friends, that are fans of Liverpool and, um, Arsenal were really, really embarrassed. Um, but but yeah, we shall see. We shall see what happens. Um, we've got
1: Leicester up next. I mean, they'll be there'll be a team that'll be fuming at those kind of things, wouldn't they? Sitting third or fourth in the table, going for Champions League football, and then it's just like, hang on a minute, Spurs and Arsenal are getting in this <laughs> because it's mean, sounding it's an absolute joke. But ninth hopefully place we
0: can- Arsenal. Ninth. Spurs what some- sick, They were sick, I don't know, they might have gone up now. Um, but these teams, I mean, shocking.
1: Shocking. Anyway, hopefully we can put a dent into Leicester's Champions League hopes next Friday. Yeah. We can dream. We We can dream.
0: Put in a little bit of a better performance, um, than we did against, against them at Wembley. Um, not that it won't take the pain away from what we offered up against them with a cup final at stake, but I mean, it'd be nice to watch us win a game. Um, so, so yeah, we will catch up after that Leicester game. In terms of Monday, are we going to do a podcast? Probably could just discuss it now. Do you want to do a podcast on Monday? What are we talking about? I'm not sure, to be honest. Watch this space. There may be one. Me and Jack will get together and we'll decide over the weekend whether we want to do one. I'm sure there's something we can discuss. Um, and anyway, next week, there will be a newsletter. Um, so if you haven't signed up yet, head to our Twitter page and on our profile is a link to sign up to our newsletter. Just drop your email in there. Um, it's Saints FC Content More um, anti top six club content as well. Um, So yeah, check it out.
1: (laughs) Nice one, mate. Speak to you next week.
0: Speak to them.